We continue in our series of messages on the gospel, and uh, for many years I thought the gospel was just, how do you get saved? But then I started to understand there's so much more to the gospel, so many more components and uh, parts to it. And so we're going through a series of messages that will kind of explore the, the breadth and the width of the gospel, talking about how far and wide and deep and long is the love of God and how it can impact every area of our life. So this part two is on the sacrifice, and it was alluded to earlier in the service. Gospel begins with uh, God's love, and it continues on to sacrifice. So in that regard, before I had children, I enjoyed my freedom with the ability to spend my time and my, uh, my money as I liked, and I vaguely knew that kids were kind of a huge responsibility or maybe a huge inconvenience. And I would have to give up a lot when I became a parent, but I didn't really realize the full extent of how much kids would change my life. I uh, had to give up sleep at night. Any of you going through that time in your life? I had to trade watching my favorite TV programs for cartoons that involved a large purple dinosaur and talking vegetables. I had to forget about um, having an uncluttered uh, and uh, clean house. Um, I don't know how many times we had to wipe stuff up and pick up toys. I I, uh, had to give up peace and quiet or uninterrupted time with my wife longer than five minutes. I had to say goodbye to some hobbies that I normally would have done. I liked duck hunting at the time. I liked having afternoon naps in the weekend. (laughs) All gone. Even uh, giving up... uh, Buying the toys that I liked instead of now buying cribs and baby clothes and diapers and play pens and baby foods. There wasn't much money left over for me anymore. And, you know, you can actually resent kids sometimes because they kind of are in the way so much. But truly, you get far more back from having kids than you ever have to sacrifice. The fact is, when you have kids, you sacrifice a lot of things in your life. Those benefits, though, outweigh the cost, the joy and the love, the pride, the companionship, the wonderful surprises, the sense of family. I mean, it's all amazing. Ah, You give up a lot, but you get far more back. You know, when I was a parent, I had in mind kind of a strategy. I had a goal in mind with all of this sacrifice. I was, I I didn't really see it as giving up a lot as much as I saw it as investing in my kids. I was giving up what I could have done for myself and and I began pouring into my kids because I had a goal that I wanted them to be positive contributors to society. I wanted them to demonstrate uh, that they were kind and compassionate, that they followed Jesus, that they learned how to work hard to help people, to love one another. So I see all of our sacrifice as parents as more of an investment in our kids. And we want them to launch well when they become young adults and they find that special someone, that spouse of theirs, and find a career. We want them to have a really strong foundation. And so that's, you know, you're investing some probably 20 years of their life plus just to help them become solid and functional and happy in life. Uh, some years ago, my oldest son was uh, in, um, in grade seven. This was some years ago. And we were overseas. I was pastoring an international congregation. 
And when you're attending an international school, your competition is the other international schools around Europe. So they wouldn't just play the school next door down the road. They, when we were in Norway, they played against London and Cairo and Frankfurt and uh, Aberdeen and London, those kinds of schools. And so every time they had a tournament, a sports tournament or debate, they had to travel. It became quite expensive for us, I suppose. You can only join one team. <laughs> so my son was asked in grade seven to come on to the junior basketball team. He was quite the quite the athlete. He was very fast. He was very agile and coordinated. So they invited him to go to Aberdeen, Scotland. And uh, we were a little bit nervous. We were there uh, at the airport when we saw him off. Got your passport. You got your money. You got, you know, you okay? Can we pray for you? Dad, you know, I'll be okay. You know, that's okay. You know, (laughs) I'm all right. So we watched him go through security and then we went home. And um, later that night, we got a phone call from the coach. You don't want a call from the coach when your kid is out of the country with them. And I immediately, I, I tend to panic in my mind because I'm trying to think of all the scenarios. That why would the coach be calling? And she says, uh, uh, Dr. Blackaby, uh, just wanted you to know that everything's okay. I'm going, don't start like that because I know there's a problem. <laughs> don't start like that. And so... Uh, Everything's okay. Uh, we're at the hospital. Like, what? <laughs> like, we're at the hospital. Well, we had an incident. We had played against a team, and um, first game, your son got a breakaway near the end of the game. He was charging down the, the lane. He was up in the air to put the ball. And then I told my son, I, this is my father coaching, I said, if you ever got a breakaway, you better make the basket, you know? Look up, take your steps, drop it in the basket, nice and easy. Don't waste all that effort on a bad shot. So he looks up, he lays, and just as he's in the air, a player from the other team shoves him underneath, and he actually falls into a brick wall uh, behind the basket, and he's unconscious on the ground. He's passed out, concussion. He was out for about a minute and a half or so. They called an ambulance to take him to the Aberdeen Children's Hospital, and that's where the, the coach was calling from. <laughs> I, I, I imagine she hated to make that call. So she was saying he's, they want to keep him overnight, they want to observe him, make sure he's okay, and going, okay, okay, okay. And I'm thinking in my mind while she's talking, how do I get to Aberdeen? I gotta get, I, I, the ferry schedule, I'd have to go up to Bergen, I'd have to go across. It's gonna take, I won't even get there till tomorrow sometime. I can't, get to my, I can't get a flight, they're all booked up. I'm going to have to steal a boat. I'm going to have to steal a boat, drive across the North Sea. It just it didn't seem like it was going to work out. She was talking to me, and she says, and I want to tell you something. I said, I'm thinking, what now? And she said, well, when we were in the ambulance, your son um, was really quiet. And I said, are you okay, Matt? How are you doing? He says, no, I'm just praying. And she said, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. You can do that. <laughs> and then he says, coach, um, Tell the boy that pushed me that I forgive him. And uh, she said, you know, um, I haven't seen that kind of character in a lot of people, that they would be forgiving and uh, turn to God like that. She says, I used to go to church years ago, and I kind of quit going when I was in this uh, international school circuit. And what I saw in your son that day, I, I don't have in my life, and I want to come back to church. 
And I thought to myself, all the investment we had done in Matt, all the, the, the things we had tried to teach him and model for him, the values and things that we had shown him, when he was under stress, under pressure, in a crisis situation, they came out in a positive way. And I mean, I was really proud as a dad, thinking that, we, we, you know, I'm not saying that it was easy raising him, that basketball kid, you know, with all that testosterone and, and energy he had. It wasn't always easy, but... He's on the right path. He's in right now as a pastor, worship pastor in a Saskatoon church. He married a godly woman. They're, they're serving the Lord. But just to say it was nice for me to see all of that investment poured into him started to bear fruit. Philippians 4.1, Paul is talking about the church in Philippi. And he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. And when you see people that you've invested in, that you poured your life into, succeeding and growing in their faith and good character, you know, it brings you joy. It's like it's all worth it. Sacrifice is something that is a part of life. And we, we sacrifice for those things that are important, thing, goals that we have, things we're trying to achieve. We give up some things in order to get other things that were more important. In many ways, I see this is like what God does with his children. I think God would have preferred a nice, quiet, peaceful world with no wars and no troubles, no addictions, no selfishness or jealousies or harm done to others. Just tiptoe through his Garden of Eden with peace and quiet would have been nice. Then he had kids. And everything changed. And all of a sudden, there's trouble. Adam and Eve messed things up. Their kids got in trouble, messed things up. It was like from then on, it was a constant battle to try and help his kids, the people he created, to follow his ways and to have the life that he designed for them. The Bible records just how hard it was to love his people, how much it cost a father to care for his children throughout all the generations. Then ultimately, he chose to make the ultimate sacrifice, placing Christ on a cross, on our behalf, so we could be forgiven and have a relationship with him. Christ's sacrifice is a part of the good news. And it's actually at the very heart of the gospel. Without the sacrifice of Christ, there would be no gospel. There would be no good news. Without the sacrifice of Christ, there would be no remedy for sin. There would be no narrow way that leads to righteousness. There would only be a broad way that leads to destruction. Jesus came to be in the gap for us, to, to, to be the mediator, to be, the, the big word is propitiation for sins. He, he made a way for us to be reconciled with God, but it's only through him that we can cross over uh, an uncrossable chasm. The good news is that God provided a way through Jesus' sacrifice for us. And we don't have to die for our sins. We will die. And actually, you know, when I thought about death... I thought about it, that was actually a remedy for our sin. Death is a penalty for sin, but also it's the way that we can go from this life to eternal life. Without death, we could be forever and ever separated from God, never getting back into that kind of relationship. So it's a, it is a gateway into eternal life. Romans 5.8, it says, showed his great love for us, but he sent by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. 
For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Try and imagine this moment when Jesus realized that he was going to have to go down to earth. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. I was imagining, and this is all imagination, by the way. I'm going to open my brain and let you hear the way I think. (laughs) Can you imagine Jesus and God standing together? And Jesus, God says, look at my creation. Aren't they just the most wonderful thing? Yes. Father, they are splendidly created and in our own image too. But why did you... Make them so that they could choose to reject us and hate us. Well, son, because I wanted them to be able to choose to love me and choose to live in peace and harmony with me. Yeah, but they're sinning and rejecting you and going to be separated from you for all eternity. The wages of the sin is death. There's no way around that. Yes, son, you're right. There's there's a penalty for their sin and someone must pay that price. But father... Are you saying someone could pay the price for them? Someone could die on their behalf and that they would not have to perish? Yes, son. Only someone without sin, pure and holy, could pay for their redemption by giving his own life in exchange for theirs. Well, Father, I want to be that one to die for them so they could live and not have to perish. I will volunteer to be the sacrificial lamb. You are a son after my own heart. You will certainly die, but I will raise you from the dead, defeating death and hell, and will offer life to all who will accept it. If they believe in you, that they are willing to turn from their wicked ways and place their faith and trust in you, then I will relent from my wrath and accept them back as my own children and let them live with me forever. Father, I am ready and willing to go. Send me when the time is right. And some 2,000 years ago, The sacrificial lamb, Jesus, came as that sacrifice for us. Romans 5.8 again says, But God commends his love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me just talk about sin for a moment. Uh, Some people say that no one ever talks about sin anymore. So, okay, we're going to talk about sin today. In the past generations, there would have not been a question about You know, if you mention that we all fall short of God's expectations or standards of morality and ethics, how we treat others, there wouldn't be any question uh, that we would say, yeah, guilty, I'm I'm a sinner, Um, I've I've done wrong things. Uh, People would have no argument about whether or not they were sinners or in need of God's grace. A couple of generations ago, it would have been just, yeah, pretty black and white. I messed up, I need God's forgiveness. In more recent generations, people started to challenge the institutions and fight against the status quo and feel that, comparatively, they are not really that bad um, and don't really deserve to be called a sinner. I mean, we don't like the labels. Okay, we made a bad choice, but that doesn't make me a sinner. Okay, I, 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 I messed up. I, I could have done things. I made a mistake, but I'm not a sinner. I didn't do anything that would keep me out of heaven. I mean, after all, we're not supposed to judge other people, right? We started to question whether or not 
Anybody has a right to judge us. Well, present generation has gone even a step further. The current generation is resistant to even categorizing things as sin. They don't like that label anymore. Uh, you know, it may be sin for you, but it's not sin for me. They don't want to set behavioral, anyone to set a behavioral standard for them. People want to set their own standards for truth, their own standards and definitions for what's right and wrong. They don't want to be judged by anyone else's standards or have to follow anyone else's expectations. And they've largely rebelled against most authorities outside of themselves whatsoever. So what is called sin in the Bible may not be sin to them at all. What right do you have to tell me what's wrong and what's right? What, what right do you have? Does anybody have? I get to decide for myself what's true, what's right, what's wrong. It's kind of the attitude that we have today. And we can't talk about sin because sin doesn't exist in today's society. It's just your choice versus mine, your opinion versus mine. They don't want anything outside of themselves like the Bible to, to give direction or guidance to their life. So when the Bible says having sex with someone outside, uh, someone you are not married to, he calls it fornication or adultery, people just decide that that's not true. Uh, you can have intimate relationships with anyone you want as long as they're consenting adults. I've heard people literally say, of course you should try someone else out before you marry them. That's expected. Expected by who? <laughs> themselves or society, not expected by God's standards, or you don't expect me to be married to the same person my whole life, how boring would that be? I've heard that. It's not, not fornication or adultery, it's companionship. We just re redefine things so that they're not so bad. Each individual person today becomes their own standard for truth, which is quite dangerous. If everyone can decide for themselves what's right and wrong, what is truth according to their own judgment, uh, you can redefine marriage, you can redefine gender and sexual identity and values. Everything becomes fluid and negotiable. There's no standard, there's no bottom line, there's no anchor anymore for people. They don't want the Bible to be the standard for morality or values or ethics. The only standard people today will accept is themselves, their own. But what do they base that on? Strictly their opinion. The problem is they don't have any basis to make their assertions. Their opinion can change next month or next year. So as a pastor, my job is not to condemn or judge anyone, really. That's not my job. My job is to do the best to inform people how they can please God by following his standards and his expectations so they can honor him in their decisions and how they live. Listen to Romans 1, 21 to 28. Now God has dealt with people since the very beginning. He knows that people don't want to follow his expectations. They don't want to follow his rules. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. So Romans 1 says, they... These people knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result... 
They did violent, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of God himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. So God's truth, his standards, his values, his expectations have been established from the very beginning of time. And they were established without the help of mankind's opinions or from their, their uh, um, desires. He, he knows what's best. He created us. He created the world we live in. For people to do whatever they want to whomever they want any time they want, leaving them up to their own judgment, it's, it's called anarchy, actually. No rules. And that's kind of what people want today. They don't want to have to give in to what any other authority says about them. It doesn't matter what good his intentions are. God really is the way, the truth, and the life. It's fantasy to think that each person can set values or ethics apart from God without any consequence. So when Jesus tells us that we've fallen short of his standards and his expectations, then we have. Like it's his world. He created it. We're, we belong to him because he created us. In the end, we will stand before Jesus to give an account of our life, regardless of whether or not we submitted to his authority. And that's his right, because he was the Lamb of God who died for the sin of the world. So it's good news. It's good news, uh, even though uh, our sin caused Christ to die, God's love raised him from the dead. This was the plan. He dealt with our sin, but his love prevailed, and he was raised from the dead. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's the picture we have in our tank, right? We have this big tank of water back there, and it's a picture, right? When I, when I drop someone down under the water, we're being buried with Christ in our baptism, according to this. And even so, it says we should rise to walk in a new life. And that's the whole picture. I'm dropping people down. It's like in a grave. They're being submerged or being put under. And they rise to walk a new life. It's like their sins have been washed away. They've been made right with God. It's a, it's a symbolic act that we all do in, according to what God has asked of us. So if we've been joined together in the likeness of his death, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed. That from now on, we should not serve sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that when Christ was raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For in that he died, he died once to sin once. But in that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, count yourselves also be truly dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love the picture of baptism because it's a, the old man is gone. The new person has come. You've been buried with Christ. We've been raised to a new life. We submit to his authority because he's the one worthy. Good news is also the question of whether or not God loved us was forever settled on the cross. If you're in a difficult situation, never question whether or not God loves you. That was settled when he sent his son to die for you. 1 John 4, 9 says, God showed his love for us that when he sent his only son into the world to give us life, real love 
isn't our love for God, but his love for us. God sent his son to be the sacrifice by which our sins can be forgiven. So the cross upon which Christ died satisfied the penalty for sins once and for all, but it also settled the issue about God's love for us. Remember, God is love. We sometimes question God's love when we face circumstances, difficult trials or overwhelming temptations, challenging situations, times of crisis in our life. We start to question, God, where are you? Don't you care? Don't you see what's going on? When we wonder why we have to endure such pain or stress or challenges, when we accuse God of not caring or loving us and question his commitment to us, God, how can you let this happen? We forget that even though our circumstances change, God doesn't. He's consistent from the beginning to the end. He never promised that life would be fair or to remove all the difficult times in our life, but he does promise to walk with us through the valleys to the other side. We tend to focus on the moment, the here and now, the immediate in front of us. And God is focused on eternity. We think of our comfort. God thinks of salvation of souls. We think of our pleasure. God thinks of freeing those in bondage to sin and addiction. We obsess over our future. God plans to bring this world to an end and bring a new heaven and a new earth. It's hard sometimes to think that the world doesn't revolve around us or that God has a much larger plan in mind apart from us, but we join God's plans. He doesn't join ours. Maybe that's why there's so many verses in the Bible about loving your neighbor as yourself or forgiving others just as we've been forgiven or submitting to one another or putting the interests of others above our own interests. He wants us to have a heart like his. This is what he did. He put... Our interest above his own, he sent a son to die for our sins so that we can be reconciled with him. He wants us to have a heart that cares more for others than we do about our own interest, a heart that is willing to sacrifice for those God loves. Some years ago, I was traveling uh, over to Burundi. Uh, I was going to speak at um, a Youth for Christ event and also visit an orphanage. Uh, you can go to the next slide. And I met a fellow named Freddie Tuyazira. Uh, Freddie used to be a school teacher in Burundi. If you know the history of um, Rwanda and Burundi, used to be together as nations. It's the nation of Burundi and Rwanda together. But then they, they were separated. They're both French countries. And you remember the Rwanda genocide that was happening between the Tutsis and the Hutus, and they were killing each other. If you saw that movie, Hotel Rwanda, it kind of depicts some of that. Well, this was when Freddie was a young teacher. It was going on some years back, and the, the warring factions and tribes were wanton slaughter of everyone that they could find, and uh, some of the warring factions came through his village while he was teaching school. And um, they took the kids out of his classroom that were a part of the, the other tribe and killed them in the playground. And he had to watch. He barricaded the rest of the kids inside 
the school while this was going on, and he was in there three days before he felt it was safe to let them out. At that moment, he realized something has to change. Someone has to make a difference. So he left the school, he went down, traveled down to South Africa, went to Bible school, was training to be a pastor. He says, I've got to tell the good news to people. I have to change hearts. I want to represent God's message of reconciliation and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and, and peace in my country. I want to make a difference in my country. While he was down at Bible school, someone who represented Youth for Christ met him and said, you know what? If you want to change your country, change the youth. So that's what he did. You look him up on the internet, you can find him as the head of Youth for Christ for Burundi. And... Um, He has done that. He has spent his life teaching the Bible and God's values to youth of Burundi. Many times government has come to him and said, won't you come into politics? Won't you be a great politician? He says, no, I've got a job already. Um, He also runs an orphanage uh, in a a village not too far from the capital where he lives. And it's one of the the kids, some of the best. You can see them on the bottom right of your screen. I went over there with a hockey bag full of stuffed toys and animals and for them, and um, they just loved. I have a video of them saying, thank you. They don't speak English. They speak French and Burundi language. But when I think about sacrifice, I think about people that are willing to give up their own dreams, their own goals for the benefit of others, just as God has shown us. So... When I look at sacrifice, and it's part of the whole story of Christianity, how it's an expectation that Christ has for his people, that we too would be willing to sacrifice for others, for others' benefit, to be able to share the good news with others, to, to go without so others could have more, to, to help when, when we could have been going on vacation, to go on a mission trip instead, to use that, that money we've been putting away for a new dishwasher and send it to the missionaries, whatever it is. What do we sacrifice for him, for his kingdom? Considering the sacrifice of Christ, is it too much to ask to, to join a life group, to learn about Jesus and fellowship with other members? Is it too much to ask for you to, to take an hour a week to pray for the needs of our congregation and, and the people around us? Is it too much to ask to give a little bit more to the budget so we don't run short in funding ministries? Is it too much to ask to just take some time to walk down your street in your neighborhood, and pray for those that are around you. To say, God, how can we impact these lives? How do we impact these families? Is it too much to ask to serve in one of our many ministries that are in need of an extra hand? We're short-staffed with some of our kids. Should we tell God, stop sending so many kids? We've got 85 kids in the ministry, and we don't have enough staff. So, you know, we're getting by. We're doing what we can. But you know what? It'd be great to have a few more hands to help out. Youth ministry, middle school, children. We want to make sure that it's well-staffed and they're well cared for. Can you step up? Well, I've got to give up an evening a week. Yeah, do that. Give up an evening. Give up a, a day. Give up an hour. Give up some time. Sacrifice a bit so we can have an impact on our own community. The good news is that Christ's sacrifice, it secures our salvation if we believe in him. And it demonstrates once for all God's incredible love for us. One last story out of Stepanovan, Armenia. I looked this place up. It does exist. 
In the town of Stepanovan, Armenia, there's a woman everyone calls Palasan's wife. She has her own name, but the townspeople call her by her husband's name to show great respect. In 1988, when there was a devastating earthquake, it struck at noon in Palasan. Sorry, uh, Palasan was at work. It struck at noon uh, at Stepanovan in the, the town, and Palasan was at work, but he rushed to the elementary school where his son was a student. The front of the school was crumbling, but the inside hadn't quite fallen yet. He, he ran inside the elementary school. He was th- pushing and throwing children out the windows and out the doors. He saved 28 kids before an aftershock hit and the building collapsed, killing Palasan. So in, honor to, in order to honor his courageous act of sacrifice, the people of Stepanovan called his young widow Palasan's wife. Sometimes a person of great honor is Sometimes a person's greatest honor is not who he or she is, but to whom he or she is related. They want to keep the memory of Palasan going, and they honor his wife by naming her after him. And I think for us Christians, we, if we're called a Christian, it's because we're representing someone who sacrificed the most for us. We walk around carrying his name. We belong to Christ. We're his followers. We're his disciples And it shows great honor to Jesus because of his sacrifice for us. Sacrifice is part of the gospel. It's part of everyday life as a Christian. In order to achieve our goals, to bring others to Christ, to to make a difference in our neighborhood, in our community, in our town, what will your role be? Let's pray. Father God, we uh, look at your word and its challenging nature. We Confess that we would prefer things our way, but we know deep down your way is best. You do know our future. You know our present. You know our past. And you know what's best. And I pray, Father, you would help us to submit to you, to your authority, to your word, to your values, your, your laws in order to achieve your goals in this life. Father God, may we think about you more than us. May we think about others more than us. May we give so that you get the glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.